It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. Everybody is still talking about that barn burner of a game yesterday. The big game, the Super Bowl, the granddaddy of all pop cultural events, the granddaddy of all sporting events. And there is nobody that I would rather talk Super Bowl or anything sports related with than Robert Wall. Now, I know what a lot of you are saying. Isn't that the guy from Arliss? Isn't that the guy from Bull Durham? Frank, don't be foolish just because he played role having to do with sports that doesn't make him an expert in sports any more than it makes Al Pacino an expert in the mob or Clint Eastwood an expert in the Old West. That's not the case when it comes to Robert Wall. I have heard Robert Wall not only on this program, but when he was doing his own nationally syndicated radio show on uh, Westwood One, give the most insightful Interesting analysis when it comes to all things related to sports, but he's able to make it very understandable for people that may not be listening to sports radio 20 hours a day. And he's always able to come up with something original, which when you do consume all this sports related content, a lot of times that becomes a uh, difficult thing to find. So very pleased to welcome back to the program actor, comedian, writer, and the person probably best known for the HBO series Arliss, which you can now watch all of the episodes on Max. And this is one of the few shows that, well, I don't know one of the few. It's one of the shows that holds up just as well now as when it debuted a few decades ago. Robert, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, it's a shame the game was so boring, huh? How do I follow that introduction? My God, thank you. I mean, I appreciate it. Great game. Wasn't that, isn't it nice to actually have a piece of entertainment, and let's call it a piece of entertainment, where you go to see the blockbuster, the big event of the year, and it's just, a, you walk out of the theater saying, that was worth the money. <laughs> right. You know, it, it's like, that was a good story. It's not a Tyson it, fight ending in 43 seconds that you paid $50 no, for. And, and there's really no goat, per se, in the game. Uh, there really is. The guy missed an extra point, but then he kicked two 50-yard field goals. And, then he, and, and by the way, both times he left the field, as with Purdy, you know, people are going to say about Purdy, all I know is that when he left the field at the fourth quarter, after driving his team down the field for, for a score, they, were, they had won the game. The defense right. gave it up on the last drive. In overtime, when he drove, he drove his team down the field for the go-ahead in overtime. And again, the defense did it. So when he left the field both times, he was a Super Bowl champion. Mm, mm. Did you have a rooting interest one way or another? Were you pulling for San Francisco or Kansas City? I uh, I, I didn't have that. Here's the, my, my sister who died two years ago oh. was a Kansas City Chiefs fan. She loved Patrick Mahomes, as she was called. She, so I, that's, that's one thing. On the other hand, I really, really like San Francisco's narrative a lot. The fact on two levels. One is the whole Purdy story is quite remarkable if you think about it. Here's a guy 
who, but who we all know story about him being the last pick in the draft. But what most people don't know is that this was a failure of scouts and of group think about what a quarterback looks like because he was, uh, you know, Brock Purdy when he was a junior and a senior was senior was the first team All Big Twelve quarterback both years. You know, you'd think somebody would have taken a flyer on a guy like this right. in the fifth round, the sixth, instead of picking a cornerback from Alcorn A&M. Do you know? You can take a side. I mean, a guy's a two-time, you know, it's like they, he, didn't, he didn't fit their profile. But the narrative is great. And above that, when I say the narrative is great, how many organizations, and let's talk about the one, the one that uh, we could basically point to the Jets, and the Giants to a lesser degree, but the Jets for sure. But how many organizations would have traded up as they did and gave away about three first-round draft choices to draft Trey Lance as the quarterback about three years ago and finally, within two years, come to the conclusion that we got a guy we got here in the last round, we're going to go with him. And the coach is <laughs> beyond it, and the front office is behind it. That takes balls. That You didn't see – you ain't seen that happen in New York. You know, you're not. I mean, to uh, you see the, the opposite. Guy, the opposite happening in New York, right? Exactly. So the fact that the organization could admit a mistake, the fact that you have an organiz- a very public organization, admit, admit a mistake on top of having this great narrative about the kid. So I love that, and I don't want to hear that they can't win the big one. Well, you know, again, if at the end of regulation one second left on the clock or whatever, when they go to kick the field goal. If the guy misses the field goal, they won the big one. You know, it's like, if the guy missed the field goal, they won the big right, one. Right, exactly. It's so happen chance, you know. Um, anyway, but I thought it was incredibly entertaining. The stars, um, I, I just thought it was a really good game. No, no penalty, you know, made a, you know, there was no totally egregious call that changed the outcome. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, no doubt about it. First of all, I'm sorry about your uh, sister passing away. I didn't know that. Um, just in terms of the game itself, do you think it was a mistake? Obviously, people are going to be second-guessing every decision because it was such a close game and it did come down uh, to the last 30, 40 seconds or so. Was it a mistake for San Francisco to take the ball first in overtime? Obviously, the playoff rules now are each team gets the ball, even if you score on the first possession. Would that have changed anything? Why? Why was and, and the reason being it being a mistake was why? Well, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I uh, my uh, uh, my inbox is flooded with uh, a chorus of critics second guessing every uh, you know every selection. I guess you know the thinking is, um, and I guess a lot of college teams do this that you when the other team gets the ball first, even if they score, you kind of know what you need to do on that drive. Whereas you know, I mean, maybe they would have done something differently other. Than the field goal, had they uh, gotten, had they chosen to kick instead of receive? I'm just asking you the question. You're the expert here. Um, let's take. Okay, let me pose another part to the answer. Then I've just watched my defense just give up on the last. I had we had the Super Bowl one, and I watched our defense just fall apart in the last two two minutes and allow the team to come down and tie me up. And but we're fortunate we didn't lose. They're gassed. They're gas right. as I see. Mm-hmm. So let, I want my offense, which then went down the field and took about 10 minutes off the clock, 
right, and puts you in a position to succeed, okay, so now we're ahead three points. Okay, defense, you've just had 15 minutes of rest. Go there and stop them when we're Super Bowl champions. They didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking with Robert Wall, uh, you could still see Arliss if you're getting nostalgic hearing his voice. It's on uh, HBO Max regularly. Pat Mahomes uh, leading the Chiefs to the second consecutive quarterback. Chiefs are now the first uh, team to repeat in a couple of decades. Mahomes with, uh, I, I believe, now three world, uh, three Super Bowl championships, joining the likes of uh, people like Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, and obviously uh, Tom Brady. There are already folks, you mentioned there was not a, a goat, but there are already folks mentioning Pat Mahomes in the same kind of a category as a Joe Montana or uh, an Aaron Rodgers. Is that is that a little premature at this point, or is that merited? Well, if I was Patrick Mahomes, if somebody put, I'd be insulted if you had Aaron Rodgers on my side. Aaron Rodgers can't shine the shoes of, uh, of Patrick. Aaron Rodgers has been to one Super Bowl. One. One. In a, and winning a division that he had kicked one. He's only been one, which means only won that championship game. And by winning a division every year that made the Jets, made the AFC East look tough. <laughs> I mean,. I mean that division that he was in. Well, so putting aside the putting aside the Rodgers comparison, Aaron Rodgers is he's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's a Hall of Famer, but don't compare him to the all time. He's not in the top ten quarterbacks. So, so what about Pat Mahomes? Where do you think he ranks in the pantheon of great quarterbacks? Right now, I mean, he right now you're watching as good as it gets. I mean, you still you got to put Brady on because it's a number of championships, I would think, and a guy like Otto Graham. Still, you know, but, but he's got three already. He's been to the place. He's been to four from five. It's of incredible. Them. It's absolutely so, incredible. I mean, he is. He's special. I mean, he's really special. Where do you put him? You can put him as the best quarterback in football. That's where he is. He's a, he's a Hall of, he's a Hall of Famer now. But by the way, you know how hard it is to repeat. You just saw this is the first time back to back. And I mean, in any sport, do you know the last National League team that repeated as World Series champions? Uh, you, you got me. Was it was it the uh, the Philadelphia Phillies in, in the in the 30s? I don't know. The, Cubs? the Cincinnati Red, the big Cincinnati Red machine. What was that 74, 75? Uh huh. Uh-huh. That's 50 years ago. Wow. Uh, no, it, it's that's I, how hard it is to repeat. Wow, that's tough. I mean, that's a, I mean, until the Mets do it in the next two years. Oh my goodness! I, I, I please, uh, yeah. I, uh, the devil is uh, getting ready to collect a whole bunch of souls in order to make that dream come true. Hey, um, what about Andy Reid? Obviously, you know, when you did your radio show, uh, one of the favorite hours that I uh, that I ever listened to, not just on your show but in general, was when you had uh, Dan Luria and Judith Light from uh, the show Lombardi in for an hour or two, and you talked not only about the show that they were doing, but about Vince Lombardi and a bunch of, uh, yeah, you, you and Dan Laurie both had a, a lot of really interesting insights. I don't think most people question that Vince Lombardi is the greatest coach of all time, even if Don Shula has more wins. Andy Reid, after this, where do you put him on the list of great NFL coaches of all time? Well, he's definitely up there. But here's the thing. Here's the thing when you, you talked about coaches. They're all Hall of Fame coaches. Do you know, I think the 30 or so Hall of Fame coaches in the NFL, NFL Hall of Fame. Do you know how many of them didn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback? I, I'm, I'm going to, my guess would be zero. Uh, three or four. Mm. Parcells didn't have one. 
Joe Gibbs didn't have one. I think Sid Gilman, believe it or not, didn't have one. There's more, somebody else. So, I mean, how do you become a Hall of Fame coach? Have a Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> Shula, Don Shula had three of them. He had Marino, Greasy, and, um, and Unitas. I mean, you know, stop it. You, know, you won't have a Hall of Fame coach. But which brings me to this point. Do you know what, what is Bill Belichick's record without uh, Tom we, Brady? It, it's very weak, uh, which is why, and I was going to ask you about this, it's why I think he has to come back and coach and find a, a way to show that he can win with a quarterback not named Brady. Well, he wants to coach because he wants to coach. And mm. it's like directing movies. You want to direct a movie, but you want to get out there and be a director. Uh, that's what you do. Um, but, you know, the Brady has a – whereas – where do I put him? Well, the most underappreciated coach, in, I will argue, is uh, Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs – just told you that number. Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. That's, yeah. None of whom wow. none of whom were in the Hall of Fame. I didn't realize that's that. That's pretty remarkable. Every other, every one of these guys, uh, you know, who won, they had, like I said, without the, the couple of I mentioned, they've had Hall of Fame quarterbacks. They've all had Hall of Fame without a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, it's like that quarterbacks too. If you saw the quarterback, partly the reason this game was terrific, we had really good quarterbacks. No doubt play. about it. No doubt about it. Um, you know, by now I think people are listening and they're seeing that I it wasn't hyperbole me uh, talking about how insightful you are when it comes to sports. You have been in a lot of sports roles over the years. Obviously, uh, Arliss and you know I mentioned Bull Durham. How did that happen? Did it just happen by coincidence that you happen to be associated with sports-related projects, or did you seek out, in the case of Bull Durham, and obviously I know you had more of a creative input when it came to Arliss, did you seek out the opportunity to play characters that showcased areas of life, in this case sports, that you're interested in? Uh, it really no. My agent put me up for an audition for Bull Durham, and if you and if and if. Uh, I would strongly, strongly suggest and recommend Ron Shelton's book, The Church of Baseball, uh, which is one of the best books, both about uh, being an athlete and, and about screenwriting, about sports and playing baseball, and about screenwriting and directing and the storytelling of how everything got made and really? what happened. Oh, so one, and he talks about my audition for Bull Durham, which uh, let's just say I was all over the place. And after it was over, he said, that's the worst audition I've ever seen. Hire him, <laughs> hire him immediately. Um, and then we shared this love of baseball. So and so we became close friends, and, and that's how the idea for Cobb, because we both knew the story and knew the source material. And, uh, and Arliss was – that was that was my idea. Sure. You know, so that, that was my – so – and uh, it was a world I knew. It was a world – I had two worlds that I knew. One is I knew a little – I knew about, you know, the business of sports world. And my family had a business, family business. So a totally different business, produce. But I saw how a business runs and how decisions get mm. made in a business. So uh, it was a private business, too. It wasn't a public business. So that has those two loves uh, involved there. Uh, Blue Chips, again, came because I um, – because Ron Shelton had written the movie, and I was at a reading with uh, with Bill Friedkin, uh, the director who just passed, and uh, the reading went just as a favor. And afterwards, he came up. He said, "I'm watching the movie." I said, "Sure." 
I, you know, lo- so I that- love that film, Blue Chips, and it's one that I don't think has uh, gets its just due when uh, a lot of the great sports movies, especially collegiate sports, are being uh, are being talked about. Um, by the way, obviously, I know you're proud of the work that you've done with Arliss and the fact that people are still watching it on Max um, decades after it's been off the air is telling about what a great show it is. I do wonder, you've done a lot, right? You've done a lot on camera, you've done a lot on stage, you've done a lot behind the scenes. I have to think, every day of your life, when you're walking down the street, someone shouts to you, hey, Arliss. Does that get grating at times? Very rarely ever happens. I can count. Arliss is not, unless I am at a sporting event. Uh-huh, okay. Because it was on HBO, it's not a network show, it was on HBO, what I do get was much more is uh, is uh, I have a, the first movie I ever did is a movie called The Hollywood Nights, and it's become a cult movie. It was sort of like American Graffiti meets uh, okay American uh, American Graffiti meets Animal House type of thing about a car club, and it has become such a cult that I played the ringleader of the group, a character named Nubom Turk. And that I get called. About. Really? Hey, new wow. bomb. That's why. Yeah, that I get. I'll tell you who gave it to me. One time I was in Yankee Stadium. I forgot whose seats I'm in. And what was the governor of New Jersey's name? He's the guy who took over from somebody. Oh, Dick Cody. Yeah, yeah, that's him. He he comes over. I'm sitting there with his two buddies, and hey, new bomb. No, this is new bomb. By the way, new bombs. This is the new bombs claim to fame was that he could fart to the song Volare. Okay, so hey, this is new bomb. What a what a pisser. You know, it's like I, I mean, I, I kept thinking this is the governor. Okay. And all I could think, all I could think, it was Mel Brooks in Blazing Saddles when he's the governor. You yeah, go, go, William Lepetame. J. Lepetamine. Yes, that's, Lepetame, uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's terrific. <laughs> but, so I get stopped more for that. That's funny. I would never have guessed that. I I, uh, I know Dick Cody a little bit. Next time I run into him, I'm gonna I'm gonna share that uh, anecdote. Yes, I, yes, please. He was lovely. He he's was a great guy. A great guy. Yeah. He just retired uh, from the state senate, but he's still in the funeral parlor business. Uh, interestingly enough, hey, um, I saw that your your nemesis. Ben Affleck is getting rave reviews for the Dunkin' Donuts commercial that he was in uh, during the game. Uh, what did you think of that Dunkin' Donuts commercial with him and Matt Damon and uh, Tom Brady and Jennifer Lopez? I didn't see it. I think I grabbed something to eat or I went to the bathroom. I didn't see it. No, it's a very diplomatic uh, di- diplomatic response given given your history. The fact that he clearly is very bothered that you made a joke about him once many years ago. It, 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 it is a bit of an overreaction. I've I always thought. I, I, I really thought. No. You know, what, what was funny is he went on the Howard Stern show and talked about it, and he said, I was at a low point. A low point. He had just made three bombs that he probably made $20 million off. Okay? So, <laughs> and he goes, and, and I watched this made for, you know, I was on an airplane, and I see this uh, piece say it's a history class. I did a little monologue thing for a history class in front of and real NYU students, and they made a joke about Geely or something, which is not, I'm just giving. They did a Ben Affleck punchline that the audience loved, and he says, and I thought, oh, this is the low point. You know, here I am watching this made for airplane piece, and they're making jokes about me. And I said, said boy, this guy really sins. Because first of all, it was an HBO documentary, and it was directed by the, the late, great, what's his name? The guy who did The War Room, and he did... Uh, oh, R.J. Uh, Cutler. R.J. Cutler. No, 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 no. Uh, 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 
Penny Baker, D.A. Penny uh, Baker. You know, he did the Bob Dylan, no way. Sure, sure, oh, sure. Great stuff. So he directed it. It got nominated for the But then he said, he goes, boy, he goes, plus, I mean, he was punching down. I don't like, I'm, and I thought to myself, in what world <laughs> would Robert Wall be punching down to Ben Affleck? <laughs> Uh, in what in what universe? That's very. <laughs> I, I said, I, really, really. Okay, you know, I'm sorry. You know, really. So, by the way, he is a very good director. I cannot take that away. He is an excellent director. I don't want to. Absolutely. And by the way, people haven't seen uh, that uh, that documentary. It's really interesting and it's a really great take on what people know uh, about American history. It's called Assume the Position with uh, Mr. Wall. It's uh, really I well done. I think that's on Max also. It I is. It, it is. I, it is indeed. Actually, I just checked while we're while we're talking. It is on Max and people should check it out after they finish uh, binging our list. Hey, um, one of the things that we've seen this year is that of the 100 most highest rated television events over the past year, nine Ninety-three of them were NFL games. The one thing that is clearly working when it comes to television ratings is football. Obviously, people have always liked football, but it seems like there's been a tremendous resurgence of interest in watching these games over the last two years. What do you attribute that to? Some people have said it's sports gambling and the legalization. Other people have said it's uh, folks being fed up with uh, what's going on in the news. Do you have a take? I think both of those are pretty good, actually. I think, remember, sports, but that's why the networks and will pay, and the media companies will pay outlandish sums for sporting events because it's it's one of the few things that you don't know how it's going to end. You know, it, you, know you can't, you know, you watch a TV show, how it's going to end. Right. You, can, you watch anything, any TV show, you know, you, you, know, you know, Blue Bloods is one of my favorite shows, but I know how it's going to end every week, you know, so... Uh, you know, so sports, you don't. It's one of the few things you don't. And then, yes, sports gambling, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, gambling, of course. Of course. You know, um, last time we spoke, it was right before the Major League Baseball was rolling out all these new rules. Now, not only do they have the uh, universal DH in both leagues, you got the pitch clock, you have the ghost runner on second base. Now that the baseball fans, and and I guess now that it's February, pitchers and catchers are going to be reporting to spring training soon. A lot of us that are diehard baseball fans, our mind immediately goes post-Super Bowl into baseball mode. Uh, Now that the fans have had some time to sit with the rules for a season, see how they've worked out. What do you think? How do you think the rule changes in Major League Baseball have worked out? I think every one of them has been great. Every single one. Even the Ghost Runner? Yeah, I'll tell you why. Nobody wants extra innings. Nobody does. The networks don't want it because it it goes over and they have to give give backs for money and advertising for other shows. The announcers don't want it. They want to go home. The managers don't want it because a 15-inning game can throw, can throw his, uh, pitching, his staff. pitching staff yeah. out for a week, right? The people who work the operations of the stadium don't want it. they got to hang out. Concessionaires are already gone, so they, uh, the, uh, the people who work your parking lots don't want it. They have to work later. Nobody, and nobody wants it. Actually, and especially who doesn't want to watch it is the fans. 
They'll tell you this BS, but the fact of the matter is viewership goes down during extra innings, mm. and the next time you say, oh, you watch a 15-inning game, and you see how many fans are in the, in the stand. You can count them on a hand. Nobody wants extra innings. So you want to play the one inning in the postseason? One or two. Okay, but nobody wants it. What, what, what would make this season so great? There was action. There was action going on. You had to put the ball, you get throw the ball. I love every one of them. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Let me end with this because we're also in uh, award show season as well. People may not know this about you, but uh, you've written or co-written the Academy Awards telecast several times. I think you've won a couple of Emmys for doing that. SAG Awards are coming up, and obviously the Academy Awards are right around the corner. You know, this is one of those things where obviously people know that the uh, host or the presenters are telling jokes. I I think they assume someone writes them, but I don't think most people who are not in the business of this kind of thing think about the production that goes into writing and producing something like the Academy Awards telecast. How much of a challenge is that? Is it something that is incredibly difficult? Is it something that's very easy? Is it something that's in between? You know, it's funny. That's the first time in all the years, that's the first time somebody has asked me about what goes into the production of the telecast. Hmm. You know, no one ever asked. They talk about winners and losers. They talk about the monologues. They talk about everything else or who's saying what. what. But they didn't ask about what goes into the production of the telecast. Uh, It's big. It's really big. There's a lot of people going there. You know, here's the thing about when I was writing on the Oscars. We do so many things in our in my business, not any business, perhaps, but especially a creative thing, where most of your work is never seen. You know, you can make a movie and it bombs in a week, or even if it doesn't matter, it, it's not seen, it doesn't get released. Uh, you might do some theater in a couple, but, you know, but most of your work is never really seen by, if you're lucky to have a hit like I had Batman, okay? So that's something, but most of the time it's not seen. You know when you're working on the Academy Awards, at least back then, the next day, you could, people are going to be talking about it. Right. You know, right. Win, lose, or draw. Win, lose, or draw. Oh, yeah. The, uh, now, the other thing what goes into it, first of all, we were I was very fortunate to have the producer then was a guy named Gil Cates, a great guy, theater director, and a great producer, uh, Gil Cates, who was the uncle of Phoebe Cates, the actress married to Kevin Klein. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And again, I was working with Billy Crystal. So, you know, it was Billy's first time doing it, and it was just the two of us. Um, There's going to be an – I don't want to leak anything, but there's going to be an article in the New York Times, I think, this week uh, about writing for the Academy Awards with the hosts and the different things you have to deal with. Uh, but the, not, that's a different story. That's the writing of the words. The production is something else because you got to figure out who's presenting, who's presenting with whom, where are they putting the people in the audience, who's on what camera, what do you got to be prepared for, where are the film packages, is the in memoriam segment locked yet? Is you know, there's so many different things uh, going on. But when Billy and I did it, it was just they had three guys writing the straight part of the show, the presenter stuff. But it was just me and Billy. 
That was it. It was just I just saw they now have twenty one writers this year. Wow. And, and I don't know that you could say that the entertainment I mean we'll see what happens this year and I hope it's great but I don't think now compared to 1990 or 1991 you could say that it is 24 or 21 times better than it was just uh, when it was just uh, the two of you so uh, that is interesting uh, Robert I really always enjoy chatting with you thank you so much for the insight on the game and uh, being willing to stroll down memory lane on some of this other stuff appreciate it okay uh, thank you very much had a great time it was good to have missed, missed you if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.